So Ezekiel chapter 11, and I'll read the first 13 verses. The Spirit lifted me up and brought me to the east gate of the house of the Lord, which faces east. And behold, at the entrance of the gateway there were twenty-five men. And I saw among them Jeazaniah, the son of Azor, and Pelatiah, the son of Benaiah, princes of the people. And he said to me, Son of man, these are the men who devise iniquity and who give wicked counsel in this city, who say the time is not near to build houses. The city is the cauldron, and we are the meat. Therefore prophesy against them, prophesy, O son of man. And the Spirit of the Lord fell upon me, and he said to me, Say, thus says the Lord, So you think, O house of Israel. For I know the things that come into your mind. You have multiplied your slain in this city, and have filled its streets with the slain. Therefore thus says the Lord, God, your slain, whom you have laid in the midst of it, they are the meat, and this city is the cauldron, but you shall be brought out of the midst of it. You have feared the sword, and I will bring the sword upon you, declares the Lord God. And I will bring you out of the midst of it, and give you into the hands of foreigners, and execute judgments upon you. You shall fall by the sword, I will judge you at the border of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord. This city shall not be your cauldron, nor shall you be the meat in the midst of it. I will judge you at the border of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord. For you have not walked in my statutes, nor obeyed my rules, but have acted according to the rules of the nations that are around you. And it came to pass, while I was prophesying, that Pelatiah, the son of Benaiah, died. Then I fell down on my face, and cried out with a loud voice, and said, Ah, Lord God, will you make a full end of the remnant of Israel? God's judgment is, is uh, we've said several times in this series, is wicked rulers. Um, I, uh, I, I survey the history of uh, our own country and I love history. I survey the history of the church and I love church history and I think, I think through the various times of decline and moral evil, and that's, that's one of those kingdom principles that you see here in, in one place in the Bible. You see many places in the Bible. And I, this, it's just through, uh, true throughout. Um, it's it's one, of the, one of those principles that you, you just, you can take to heart and, and understand there's, there, there are many of them, but that's it's one of them. And so 
If you recall earlier, Ezekiel had uh, was in um, in ba he's in Babylon now, and, and it's only through the um, work of the Holy Spirit that he's transported in spirit to uh, the gates of Jerusalem, and he sees sitting there twenty uh, five men, and and two of them notably named. Um, and um, we'll, we'll talk about those uh, later on. And, and um, 25 uh, conspiring against the counsel of Ezekiel and Jeremiah. If you, a companion a book to uh, Ezekiel is Jeremiah, if you want to see the perspective of a, a different uh, prophet. And if you follow the drama in the book of Jeremiah, you know there's this great contention between those who want to stay in place in Jerusalem and fight it out, and Jeremiah and, and those who want to uh, flee to Egypt and make an alliance with Egypt for protection, and those who, um, and, and all the while Jeremiah has been commanded to say, the only way you can escape is ex to accept the, uh, the judgment of God that will carry you into exile. And so there's this incredible drama that goes on in that book uh, surrounding that. And the end result is uh, Jeremiah is carted away to Egypt and, and, and most scholars believe he was executed there. And this is the context that you see here. This is this uh, uh, context of this debate between the Jewish people, and it sounds so incredibly patriotic for them to stay there and fight to the last, because they are standing on the promises that God would protect his people in their city. When God has revealed to the prophets uh, Ezekiel and Jeremiah that no this is not the case that the, that the only way that any of them will be spared is if they accept what happens to them and they go into exile and I'm, I think uh, some of you are familiar with the story of Masada in Israel and, and it's, a, it's an incredible place and it's where the Israeli army takes all their soldiers out and uh, inducts them, and they get the oath of office on, on Masada, the mountain where they all died at the end of the Roman, uh, Roman invaders in AD 70. And it's a, a dramatic place, but I also think a, very, a, 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 a place that's very illustrative of just what is happening here. You do whatever you want to, stay up on your mountain. The Romans, if they take three years to build a rampart up to the top and come over that top, they will kill you. And, and uh, famously, they, they uh, killed themselves before the Romans had the privilege, and, uh, which is ironic to me that uh, that would be a, um, a source of pride for the Jewish people, but I will not, not get into that. The issue here is will you listen to God and accept the discipline that he's bringing? 
The temple, again, in the Old Testament, was the center of the life, the religious life of the people. Again, the temple in the New Testament is, is um, there, there are three things that we should think about in terms of application. One, our bodies as the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. The gathering of the church of Jesus as a temple, that's in um, 1 Corinthians 3, 16. It's also in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. I'd like you to turn there to see this. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16. Second Corinthians, not first Corinthians. Verse 16. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, as God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you. Um, we are to shun the idolatry of the world as God's people and not invite uh, those idols into our worship, into our, our personal life, we are to put them away. What we're seeing in the text tonight of Ezekiel 11 is a conspiracy of 25 of the leaders of Israel back in Jerusalem who are conspiring together to overthrow the Word of God. Because the prophets Ezekiel and Jeremiah, when they spoke, thus saith the Lord, as they speak here, are speaking authoritatively. I have accumulated over 40 years of ministry, probably a whole shelf of my library dedicated to conspiracy theories. Oh, you laugh. <laughs> they're all true I, 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 they're so dated I could pull them out and show you the things they predicted that when I read them at the time I said this is outlandish this will never happen the only thing that's wrong with those conspiracy theory books is they totally underestimated the extent of how far we would have been fallen at this, time, at this point in time Again, they were written by godly men, for the most part, who wrote about the times, who understood history, who understood these kingdom principles, and analyzed where they would inevitably lead to. Um, I, I still am uh, amazed and rejoicing. Maybe we should even have a, a time of celebration, of thanksgiving, at the, uh, for the 
for the uh, overturn of the 50-year unrighteous decree of Roe v. Wade that resulted in the, the, the loss of, of millions of lives. Um, the anger, the sheer anger and reviling that has occurred as a result of that, and all the political turmoil we have seen uh, prior to that in the last several years, uh, that it's a, it is a time that is, um, that's very analogous. And do I believe that there are people who, who uh, consciously sit down and think and plot a ways to overthrow uh, everything that is good and right about the United States of America and, and the Church of Jesus? And I would say to you, absolutely, this is true. There's just too much empirical evidence that is true. Should it surprise us? No, never. It shouldn't surprise us in the least because this has taken place since the fall of mankind. And what, what should our response be? Should we cower in fear? Should we tremble? Should we just give up? Should we withdraw? And the answer is no. But we also must face reality and discern the time that we live in and listen to the Word of God and its application in all life. Psalm 2 ought to be, ought to be the meditation of our heart at all times. <laughs> Because it tells us exactly what our posture should be in such a time. Uh, the psalmist asks in that psalm, why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? Uh, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and his anointed, saying, Let's, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. It tells us the posture of the sovereign God of Israel and the sovereign God who made everything. It tells us that he who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. And then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king in Zion on its holy hill. And it is the most quoted messianic psalm in the New Testament. And it is referencing the Lord Jesus. And the message that we are to gather from this is that we submit to his lordship, no matter what the circumstances. So how do you recognize the false leadership versus the true leadership? That's been a question that has, has been with uh, believers from the Old Testament to the New. What, what are the, the people sitting back in, in Jerusalem to think about these 25 men who are, are giving essentially wicked advice? How do, you, how do we judge what is right and true in our churches? in and where God has called us to be and, and the answer is we look for um, 
consistent truth. We, we, we throw this term or terminology around um, sometimes in, in our family of churches called the Reformed Churches, but it but really is it's good, good uh, terminology. We, we look for signs that God uh, is being faithful in a particular place, in a particular congregation, and in our particular lives. And we look for the main sign that the Reformers, uh, Calvin and and Luther and others told us to look for is to look for the ordinary means of grace, those ordinary plain things that set off the body of Christ from the world. And number one in that ordinary means of grace, a place where the scripture is open and read and, and applied, the word of God. That is like as basic as it gets. The second uh, sign that you look for are the sacraments or, or baptism and the Lord's Supper are they faithfully administered as close as possible to how the scripture says you should administer those things then you can know that you're in the right place and then the third sign and some dispute among the reformers about this sign but I think it is an essential sign and that is discipline is there a discipline the church submits to uh, that it is in conformity with the Bible and the standards of the Bible. Here, if we judge the situation in Jerusalem long ago, we see there are clearly leaders who refuse to listen to the infallible, inerrant Word of God as delivered by the prophets. These 20 Five elders are plotting and conspiring to stay in Jerusalem in the face of the onslaught of the Babylonians. Judgment is pronounced upon them. Verse 2, Son of man, these are the men who devise iniquity and who give wicked counsel in this city. They are saying this is not the time is not near to build houses. The city is a cauldron, and we are the meat. Now that sounds sort of like we're in the frying pan, and uh, we're happy not being in the fire. And that's essentially what they are saying. We think there's some measure of protection for us being in this pot, this iron pot that keeps us from the enemies. When the truth is, God has pronounced the end the temporary end of the temple and uh, the residence of the Jews in Jerusalem and Israel. These names of two of the figures of the 25 are not coincidental. There's Jaizaniah, whose name ironically means the Lord hears the son who Yahweh helps. If you, some of you sharp readers and, pay, and those who pay attention closely remember they had the same name back in chapter 8, but it, it was obviously a different Jaws and I um, because he had a different father. 
and you didn't have the surname there, Ben, son of Benaiah, which incidentally means, um, I mean, uh, Ben Shapin, rather, Ben Shapin, uh, which incidentally means uh, the badger, the son of a badger, which was an unclean, or a hyrax, in the, as it was called in the Middle East, which was an unclean animal. So even in pronouncing these names, the Lord uh, is showing his disdain. For those who have names that should mean faithfulness, their very names speak of un that, that they are against God's faithful uh, practice of his word. It's a preview. The judgment that is falling upon the temple and upon Jerusalem is a preview of the judgment that will fall yet again in the life of Israel. Not only after the temple is rebuilt when the Greeks invade and Herod Antiochus defiles it again, and it's, it's taken back over by the Jews and purified again, and then again when after the Lord Jesus is crucified and raised and ascends into heaven um, in AD 70 the, the mighty Roman army comes and destroys it burns it to the ground dismantles it stone by stone those are fearsome historical facts they occurred they have meaning because they fulfill what the scripture says and they're very important. All history has meaning, but sometimes it just stares you and slaps you in the face. They are fulfillment and they are precursors of the promise of judgment to come. Our Lord Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, in this wonderful, encouraging application of the law to the New Testament believer, which he says the true keeping of the law is not from outward road memory and practicing of uh, legalistic uh, truth, but it comes from an inner relationship with, with the Lord and uh, a desire to, to uh, fulfill not merely the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law. In the midst of this wonderfully encouraging message, there's this fierce pronouncement. Verse 21 of chapter 7. By the way, I, when we once were uh, picketing the abortion doctor's house uh, way back in the day in Fayetteville when we had one. Praise the Lord, we don't have one anymore. But one day he invited Dow Prisley and I in to tea. He was going to charm us. And, uh, he said he believed in the Lord. And he said he, his favorite passage of scripture was the Sermon on the Mount. We warned him of the fierce judgment that is to come. And, I'm, and I think we talked about these words from the Sermon on the Mount. If we didn't, we should have. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. 
On that day, many will say to me, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. There is a limit to God's patience, the patience of Jesus. He is kind, he is gentle, he indeed gives, a, gives, gives everyone time and opportunity to, to repent and to receive forgiveness. But there is a limit. And so in the first four verses here, God's judgment is pronounced. And Ezekiel is commanded to prophesy what will occur. In the next uh, um, five verses five through 12, we see that judgment performed. It will be performed. They will not be kept safe in an iron pot from the Babylonian onslaught. They will be judged. And the one who is named the Lord will deliver ironically is the one who is killed first. Rather than living up to his name, he deliberately turned away from the truth. And so it is true with all who put their confidence in the false gods of this world. There will be judgment and there will be wrath. The righteous wrath of God. We're in the men's Bible study, we're reading through the Gospels, and it's all good. We're, we made it through the Gospels. If we persevere, we're going to make it through the Bible after about seven years, or our pace is slowed down to a crawl. You're, you're invited to in person or the Zoom Bible study on Tuesday noon, men. And uh, it's a historic time. We're, we're almost through John. But I, as we go through those the Gospels slowly, I, I'm always, uh, always uh, drawn to this constant conflict between Jesus and the Pharisees. And, and as, I, as I, I thought about uh, the application of, of this passage tonight, I couldn't help but thinking this, this, this truth that just seems to bubble up and it's again one of those kingdom principles that I think is true everywhere. That self-righteous religion always leads to licentiousness and rebellion. Whenever it, it's all about me and what I have done to commend myself to God, the inevitable result is a, uh, is a fall from grace. And sadly, tell one one of our uh, young young men who who all of a sudden decided that uh, he should swim the Tiber. You know, the Tiber River. That's what se separates uh, Europe from Rome. And that's an it's a uh, expression that you swim you swim the Tiber. You go back to Rome, and and you become a Roman Catholic. And then, and sadly, it happens uh, uh, all too often. And 
saved because there's this idea that you can perform your righteousness that is so powerfully embedded in that truth. Many sincere and wonderful people have been deceived by it. By it. But, the, but the truth is, self-righteous religion will always produce the opposite of what it promises. And it, it, it ultimately results in idolatry and the worship of other gods, which is, again, the principal reason God's wrath falls on Israel in this passage. I've saved the last um, part of this for uh, next Sunday morning because I, I wanted there to be a, 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 a I didn't want just, just uh, I wanted one of the Sunday mornings to be um, more hopeful <laughs> we had that wonderful note of grace last Sunday night in chapter 9 where the, the mark of the cross is put on God's people and uh, uh, who are faithful and they are delivered. And that's the glorious gospel back in chapter 9. And so I, but, uh, but I don't want to end just on this. I want to end with a plea for mercy, which is what 13 is. And it came to pass while I was prophesying that Beltiah, the son of Benad, died. This, this man, um, whose name meant hope for deliverance, he dies. And it, causes, it moves Ezekiel. He falls down on his face and he cries out with a loud voice, Ah, Lord God, will you make a full end of the remnant of Israel? And the answer is no. And we'll see that next Sunday morning in verses 14 through 25. Um, it's, it's a message of hope. The great message of hope is God is merciful. He's merciful even in the midst of judgment. Um, as we look out on the world and, and, and we think of those very sad places where the gospel once ran and where, where like mentioned this morning, Turkey and some of you, some people have been on the tour of the seven churches of Asia Minor. I've just looked at pictures of them and it looks, it's, it's dismal and bleak and you ask uh, the Turkish tour guides where where they, where are the, the, the true churches and I think they, uh, somebody told me that there aren't any. <laughs> and that pretty much uh, comports with what Jacob experienced in Turkey after being there for many years. I think uh, all the missionary endeavor in Turkey uh, in, in the last uh, several hundred years, there's, there are only four or five thousand believers in that whole nation. And half of them are missionaries. It's, uh, it is a, a dark place. But there's hope. There's the glorious hope of the gospel, which is true no matter what uh, men do with it. And that God has chosen, 1 Corinthians 1 verse 27, God has chosen the weak and the foolish uh, things of this world to shame the wise. The Jews reject the Messiah. They, the, 
the Messiah goes to the Gentiles. The West, uh, Western nations uh, turn their back on Christianity. The Lord goes to Africa and India and China and where a, a thriving church grows, South Korea. He uh, who began that work of the gospel will not stop it until he has called from every tongue and tribe and nation all who are his. And that is our great hope tonight as we come to the Lord in his word and in the supper. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for these, these hard, hard chapters. That they are hard to even look at and hard to even comprehend. But we know they're true. And um, Father, because your word is true and it's an accurate account of the history of Israel and the history of your people. And they, all of these truths have been fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So may, may we look to him tonight. May we be honest about our sin, our rebellion about our about other gods we put in place of you about our idolatry the idolatrous ways that we we uh, fill our minds and hearts with things put people and things in front of you and may we truly repent and humble ourselves huh. and father as a result be filled with the joy of the holy spirit that we are forgiven sinners and uh Pronounce that truth with great joy and gladness as we confess our faith and proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.